Yo, yo, what up, what up? Welcome to the WTF Should I Do With My Life podcast. I am your host, Jacob Sokol, here in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, shout out to all the boroughs, Queens, Manhattan, the Boogie Down Bronx, and Staten Island, and to everyone worldwide who's kicking it with us today. I don't usually give shout outs globally, but I am stoked for today's podcast. We've got Alex Mill with us, who you know, the simplest way to describe what we're about to get into is this man was a monk for 14 years in a monastery and he came out about two years ago and me and him got to play together and uh, go on a little bit of a journey ourselves. And, and, you know, today I'm bringing Alex onto the show to talk about his experience. You know, what brings you into a monastery where you stay for 14 years? Um, what do you, what did he learn during that experience? What were the most important parts of his timeline while he was there and what, what were happening in those experiences that, you know, made them so pivotal and important. Um, we talk about, you know, how he knew it was time to leave the monastery and the deeper integration of what he learned during that time and then bringing that out into the world. And so we go into that and, you know, he also shares, you know, quite frankly, what's been most challenging for him, uh, being back in, uh, kind of, you know, regular life, if we call it that outside of the monastery. Um, we also go more specifically into being able to, to learn about the voices in our head and kind of how to navigate those and work with those. Uh, he talks about the ability to be able to reinvent our ourselves and drop this idea that we are who we are and, and, you know, really to tap into a deeper part of ourselves with the awareness that we can have. So I've said enough. Uh, we're going to dive into this interview. Hope you guys love it. I did. And let's play. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jacob. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, dude, I'm stoked that we get to talk and it's funny because we have a relationship and we spent some time together virtually at least. And I still am so curious about you and your journey and your story. And so I'm, I'm particularly excited for today's interview where we can unpack that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I know I have yet to meet you in person and I'm looking forward to the day where I get to hug you and say, thank you so much in person for all that you've done for me. Um, I, I really, I don't know where I'd be today without you truly, seriously. So um, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm sure you'd be just fine, just to be clear, all right? <laughs> Let's just put that out on the table. And also, thank you for the warm words. It, it has been cool to play, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to play some more in the future. Awesome. Okay, so you know, this is the thing that jumps out immediately because I don't think I've ever heard it before from anyone. Um, Lived it. You lived in a monastery for 14 years. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious. Uh, what brought you to the monastery? What brought you to be to choose to become a monk? Yeah. So um, yeah, this is a very popular question. I totally understand it because it's like not every day that you run into someone who makes a decision like that. I actually never made the decision to uh, go to the monastery and become a monk for a Zen monastery and become a monk for that many years intentionally. It was like, um, I was, I was just minding my own business, walking down uh, a street with my girlfriend at the time in, um, in, in Philadelphia. And she walks into this new age bookstore and I wouldn't really be caught dead in a store like that. Cause I had other interests, you know, like I, I was into, um, 
you know, just uh, music and art and um, uh, gosh, I don't know. I, I just collected lots of different things. I was I loved watching videos and things like that. What year was this? This was I think it was 1999, right? 99. It was 1999. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, and boy, I, I just wandered in like not having a clue about like what I was going to run into because I ended up picking up this book. I start reading it a little bit. Now, a little bit about the book. It's it's something that I would uh, not be gravitating toward at all. Like it had a weird cover, um, it had an intriguing title, and um, the author on the back uh, was radiant, beaming, glowing, smiling. You know, most of the authors that I was reading at the time were kind of in dark shadows with a scowl on their face, you know, Edgar Allan Poe-ish. And uh, so I would have been normally have put this straight back down saying, oh, this is not my speed at all. And then next I found out that the writing in the book was all, I mean, the, the print was all handwritten. And another sign that I would have put this book down and the cartoons in it too. They were just like everything about it on a physical level turned me off. But I started reading it. And man, I'm so glad that I did. Now, you know how I said I was grateful to meet you and have that experience with you. I'm really grateful for this, um, this book because, uh, boy, it was like the author was sitting, you know, standing in my head and talking about my life. And that's how it all began. That's how I decided to, to travel. Um, well, that's part of it. You know, I started to see how I was put together. After that, I started meditating, and then I decided to sell my stuff and just travel cross-country with my girlfriend, knowing that I was going to go visit a monastery, a Zen monastery, when I got to California, but I had no idea that it would turn into 14 years. Mm. So um, that, was a, that was a mystery for all of us. <laughs> and, and would you say at that time in your life that things weren't working or they were working? Were you, you know, doing drugs or was there some type yeah. of despair that you were experiencing? Yeah, good. Good. Really great question, actually. I would say that everything was as about as perfect as it can possibly get. Um, I um, had a beautiful, uh, intelligent, wonderful, loving girlfriend. I had um, the, the amazing apartment that I loved. I had the job that was bringing in the money that I needed in order to be able to do the artwork that I loved to do. And I could buy any CD. I'm dating myself here. I could buy CDs. <laughs> I, could I buy... love your metric of success. It was like, <laughs> I could buy any CD that I wanted. I could. I usually walked home with about a stack of 10 at a time, wow. you know, on a daily basis. You know, it was like my addiction of choice pretty much. Okay. And, um, and so everything on the outside looked like it was perfect. And that's why this book struck home to me was because it said, you know, um, you know, what you have in life, who you are, and all of these other things that we put so much value on in the world, we think that they should make us happy, but that's not how it works. Happiness is not created by what happens to us. It's, happen it's created by what occurs within us. And then um, uh, the phrase, um, let's see how it went. It went something along the lines of wanting leads to wanting, having leads to having, wanting does not lead to having, one process does not lead to another. That's the one that really hit home for me at that time, which was pointing to the fact that all along I've been thinking that all this wanting I was having was going to lead to me feeling filled and complete and whole and nothing could be further from the truth. I, um, all I found was that wanting led to more wanting. 
I uh, collected so much junk and I spent so much time feeling like I needed to fill my life up with endless experiences that I was never really there for the one that I was in. And it was always this feeling of uh, somehow separate or distant from people around me and experiences that I was having. So I'd be eating a meal and I'd be thinking about hanging out with friends. When I was with my friends, I was thinking that I should be doing my artwork. When I was doing my artwork, and you just fill in the blanks, it just keeps on going like that. So um, no, I didn't have any, any real struggles on the outside. As a matter of fact, it felt like, wow, everything was, was kind of darn perfect. And for one, whatever reason, I wasn't 100% satisfied. You know, I wasn't miserable. But you know, the definition in Zen um, about suffering could be easily translated into just dissatisfaction. And I think that's the one that people really relate to the most, you know, because when you say suffering, you think, oh, yeah, I'm getting my nails pulled out or, you know, they're, they're uh, sticking needles into me and things like that, and I'm suffering physically. But suffering really is more about um, this feeling of something wrong and not enough. And I run into that a lot with work that I do. So if wanting isn't the answer, what's kind of the opposite of that? What's the, what's the solution, if we were to call it that? Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's like uh, there isn't anything wrong with the wanting. Like there's, uh, I would say that um, it, it wasn't the problem that there was wanting, you know, because see, what I ended up doing was I went on to the other side of the continuum. And so I thought, well, if me collecting all this stuff wasn't equaling happiness, then I should just go to the other extreme and kind of like endorse some uh, minimalist attitude toward it. And I see that's really popular with people who talk about Zen as, you know, it's minimalism. You just don't, you just don't have a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really in that club that buys that because that's just the other end of the continuum, right? It's, uh, we call it duality. And so it's, I, pr I played around with that. Trust me. I thought that that was the answer. Okay, well, I just won't buy stuff for myself anymore. I'll cut back on the CDs that I have. I'll just be happy with what I have. And uh, that just swung me to the other side. So uh, for me, uh, there's a place between wanting and having, and that is uh, just here, right? So just here could include wanting, and just here could include having, and just here could, could include having lots of wealth. And just here could be, you know, not having a nickel in my pocket, pretty much. And so um, it's up to us to decide what we want to create in every moment. See, from there lies the possibility to um, uh, start to author our lives instead of uh, be, be subject to what happens to us on an external level. Uh, I could talk more about that, but um, but that's what I feel is the opposite. If if we were to say that there was one, it's somewhere in the middle. Got it. Yeah. So there's one thing on one side, there's having on the <laughs> other side, and then there's presence in the middle or mm -hmm. connection to right. this moment, ourself, um, mm -hmm. a groundedness in that. Um, tell us more about that place. Tell us more about how do we keep ourselves mm -hmm. out of it? Um, what, what should we know <laughs> about it? Um, mm. yeah, yeah. Wherever you'd like to take us in that place. Oh yeah, no, this is the most fun I think that I can possibly have in a conversation. It's, uh, you know, um, I'm a big advocate of meditation. That was the thing that really made, so after finding this book and reading this passage and having that kind of big mind-blowing aha moment about how I was doing my entire life, it was one of those I saw my whole life flash before my eyes mm -hmm. moment. And um, 
what I ended up doing was I, I ignored the passages in all of these books because I started collecting these books too, right? So I started to do the same process that I was doing with the CDs <laughs> and the music and the, and the, I'm sorry, the videos and the magazines, everything. I started doing that with her books and they would have just ended up on the shelf like all the other junk that I had. But what I ended up doing was, so I got to the ninth book and then I've been reading meditate, meditate, meditate over and over. And I said, oh, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to have to meditate because <laughs> I, she kept saying it and these authors just kept saying it, but I've been avoiding it. Yeah. So I ended up going out, buying the meditation cushion, plopping myself down. And that was the next big shift that happened for me. I was like, okay, all right, things started to slow down. Now at first it wasn't, you know, there was nothing glorious about it. Anybody that spent any time meditating, uh, it's kind of like, uh, you, you could be excited about one moment and the other times it's like, nothing more exciting than a bowl of mush. Hmm. But, uh, but, but the repeated process of doing that started to expose to me how I was doing everything in my life. And that's what's made the biggest difference for me. And so I would say the thing that has shifted and has given me the ability to shift and see this has been meditation. And so that's led you to an awareness, right? And yes. so it's, it's how you do anything is how you do everything. And Correct. if I can have an awareness over my life on a, on a micro level, moment to moment, then I can use that as information to look at my life on a macro level and with that's that right. awareness then choose, okay, well, do I want to do things differently? Right, exactly. It's a moment by moment choice where it doesn't involve anything from the past and nor does it have any, anything to dread about the future, right? It's, so it's always this place of uh, information allowed. It, um, when I'm meditating, I'm making a clearing within myself for insights to drop in. And those insights are, and I describe this to the uh, group of coaches that I've been working with, as um, this, this ability to make yourself into a clearing for life to basically inform and guide you rather than feeling like we need to go up into our heads and rehash the same old system that's been kind of guiding us since we've been since we've been little uh, the same kind of belief same kinds of assumptions same fears same ways of interacting with the world and so we tend to have this cyclical pattern in our lives where we just feel kind of trapped you know it's this uh, uh, been there, done that feeling where, uh, wow, why does this relationship that I'm in now remind me so much of the one that I was in before? And why does this situation uh, remind me of like the, some, something that I struggled with before too, you know? And, um, and so outside of that, on a separate plane, is this ability to drop in with insights. And that's the place that I really love to play with people and that's like the focus of how I coach people one-on-one -on -one too. It's like once we move beyond this kind of cyclical pattern that I find people struggle with, then it allows an enormous possibility for there to be um, access to those kinds of insights that will literally shape and guide a life. So if it's the mind that cannot solve the same problem, yeah, <laughs> to, to, that's to, cool. Totally. So, so there's that knowing that there's something else, something, something deeper, something that, um, is is waiting for us to step into and when we look for that with the level of the mind we're never able to find it because it doesn't exist in the mind the mind doesn't speak that language and someone who's listening to this conversation right now might might say well what the hell is he talking about and that's because you're using your mind to try to find the same thing that we're saying the mind can't compute um, 
and so but it's so where does it come from it comes from a deeper source whether that's your heart or your gut or what the universe coming through you whatever that might be and when we what i find is when we slow down the mind when we slow down then we can drop the mind into perhaps that state of um, being able to hear the heart but the mind by itself unchecked just going and going and going never gets us there um alex you know i'm i'm curious about 14 years is a is a hell of a time, hell of a long time, uh, or maybe not in the realms of existence. But <laughs> for me, who who was 14 years old when you went into the monastery, uh, Whoa, sh- sure feels you're like dating a long me. Time. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I guess I'm I'm wondering, you know, two two things. W- one is that. I, I love that it was just the, ch- the next choice for you. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to go do this for 14 years. I, I interviewed right. Chris Gillibo, who has been to every country in the world, and I asked him a similar thing. Like, so were you like sitting on your couch smoking weed, and you're like, hey, I guess I'll go to every country <laughs> in the world. And he's like, no. He's like, no. Like, I was just traveling because I loved it. And then I'm like, well, I'm at 70 countries. It would be cool if I got to 100. And then I got to 100, and I was like, huh, maybe I should do a few more, and you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like so often in my own life, I put that pressure on myself to get it perfect, get it right, know the big dream, um, and and yeah. and fall victim to that mind that's searching for that that certainty. Um, I guess I'm I'm wondering in the time that you spent in the monastery, were there any significant moments, if we were to zoom out and look at them on a timeline, mm. that these moments would stand out for whatever reason? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the, the, when I first showed up till about a month after, those were really very intense for me because I had basically at that moment dropped everything that I felt was comfortable to me and abandoned myself to the direction that I had absolutely zero control over. So, you know, my first night in the, in the trailer that was my hermitage where I couldn't get a box of matches, Hmm. you know, I couldn't get a light for the um, kerosene lamp I had in my in my room, because the box of matches were wet. I mean, I that that feeling of going into a possible panic attack was was huge for me. And re- remembering that um, I had the breath as my resource, so I focused in on my breath at that moment, and um, I was able to uh, calm myself down, get the match lit, have a light in the room, and. Um, that was that was huge. I know it doesn't sound like a huge thing, but uh, I left San Diego, which the temperature there never really varies a whole lot, and I was driven to this you know godforsaken place <laughs> at the end of a dirt road with rain pouring and it was dark and and uh, oh my god, it was just just wow. like very very uh, very intense, yeah, uh, with nothing. You know, I didn't have my cell phone. I had a way of contacting my girlfriend and nothing. So. Uh, the, uh, I have so many memories. I mean, uh, golly, uh, where to begin? I mean, they, there was a retreat that was offered to me there that, as a gift that literally just you know rocked my world yet once again. And uh, some of that is what I uh, take into my own practice today as a coach and the uh, online retreat that I offer. And um, gosh. And what, uh, what, what was the essence of that? What was the shift that happened for you in that experience? Well, in that experience, I got to see exactly. So people meditate, and then there's what do you do with your with what you discover as you meditate, and I think that that's what took meditation to the next level. Was that there's a whole process that becomes exposed, 
And this is because uh, when you slow things down, you get to see how a human being is put together. And for me, that, that experience taught me that um, suffering, the, the machine that is the mind, is completely optional, that there's another way to live, that there's a bigger place, a bigger choice that can be made from a different place. It's hard to talk about until you've had the experience, you know? So it's one of those things where uh, you can read about it in a book and people get really in, in, um, motivated by those kinds of things, but you know the difference between reading about surfing than being on that surfboard. Mm. Uh, this is funny that I'm using this metaphor because I don't know how to surf, but I imagine, <laughs> imagine it's like that. You know, I speak like from some kind of credentials about that. But it's like, you know, when you live something day in and day out like that, you do have a, a clearer source about like what that experience is like. And I can tell you that it is um, it's just phenomenal to see that that distinction, you know, that kind of black and white. Um, OK, you're either living here in suffering or you're here living here in the moment free of it you let know me, um let me ask yeah, you if someone wanted to have a micro taste of that how mm -hmm. might you suggest they create the conditions for them to not just understand it intellectually but to start to experience this insight that you're talking about in, in oh. within themselves mm -hmm. uh well i didn't i didn't join you today to advertise anything but i lead people through an experience like that as a matter of fact it's one of the things that i was just talking to steve Steve Chandler about uh, was um, something that I taught the coaches of, of his school, the advanced client system. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's an opportunity to have an experience of something like that. Because um, what I showed him uh, this, this past weekend and the coaches in that room was that there is a cycle, there is a system, there's a machine that is inside each of us that um, is kind of like on autopilot and it's where all habits come from. It's the, it's the, um, if you've ever felt bad about anything at all, it's the source of everything that we do that, and we end up feeling bad about at some point. And, um, you know, when you want to do something like, um, you've like made, you know, a really good example of that is if you've ever wanted to paint a painting before and you don't really paint and there's that kind of fear of, oh, I don't know, but there's some excitement to it. And you say that, oh yeah, I'm going to paint someday. But then it keeps getting put off and put off, put off. You want to learn something new, like uh, learn to play an instrument or learn a language, and it just falls by the wayside. That's not an accident. That's um, I, I talk about it as anything that's here to support us. Um, any any practice that you do, like meditation, eating right, doing exercise, you know, even even writing a gratitude list for goodness sake, those are those take a little bit of they, they require a bit of practice. Because no, what I I joked around with the group, no one wakes up in the morning and um, habitually, spontaneously, by accident, finds themselves writing a gratitude list. Mm -hmm. You know, so, they, so the practice. So let me ask: so when it comes to developing these new habits, whether it's you know surfing mm -hmm. or trying the guitar or whatever it is, and and we mm -hmm. end up not doing it, you're saying that that's not an accident. So what's what's the inner mechanics that are are keeping that from happening? Uh, well, I like to talk about them as voices, you know, because I think nowadays people can really relate to it. I mean, there's the Disney film uh, Inside Out. I think I haven't actually seen this movie yep. yet. Oh, I've but... I've seen it in the theater, man. Popcorn and everything. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we must have been amazing. I've, I've seen a preview for it, so I know that they're kind of touching on the subject. So now, nowadays, 
you know, people, when they use the word like, okay, there are voices on my head, they know that it's not some sort of psychological deep, you know, problem that you have and that everybody has a voice that says something along the lines of, you know, you should be spending more time doing your work than on Facebook. A lot of people can really relate to that voice. And so, um, I would say that that's, that's really what I'm talking about. This is what it's an awareness of how that works, how the voices, how our thoughts really work so that you can get clear of them and choose something else. And that's part of the process that I walk, walk people through is to get a really clear uh, an experience of your thoughts or not. Your, because it's easy to understand that, again, on a conceptual level, but until you have an experience of it, it's all just kind of like, yeah, I know, they're mm. not, but I still, you know, still go along with them. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, that was my big insight that I that I got when I first traveled to Europe. I was 24 years old in my life. Again, on the outside, it, it was successful, but on the inside, I had these voices that had a uh, obsessive tendency to come in and, and there was a lot of shame around them. So it wasn't yep. just like, hey, I think I'm spending too much time on Facebook. It was like, hey you're not man enough or like you're there's this thing yeah. that's wrong with you and if yeah. people were to find out about you, that about you it would question your whole identity and et cetera, et cetera. and it was when i was alone meaning that i i wasn't in my current i wasn't in my community but i went out into the unknown i went to europe i went by myself and after about 3 weeks the voices that I had heard every single morning when I woke up for months, if not years, saying the same things about my insecurities and me not being enough, they weren't there. And it mm. was that experience of, wait a second, if they're not here right now, mm -hmm. then maybe they, I, I am not those voices. Those voices are not me. And I can mm. have a layer in between the voice and me because if I changed this one thing, then the voice has changed. So, so what's mm. going on here, right? Yeah. And it was that, you know, and I, and I had read Edgar Tolle, you know, before that I conceptually understood what was happening, but it was that deep embodied experience of it that felt like liberation. It was the ultimate freedom. Holy shit. I can create myself. And, uh, yeah. And that didn't come from, from reading the book that came from, you know, having that experience you speak of. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being so in tune to having the story or the tape loop, you know, again, tapes you know i'm like kind of like can people really even relate to this anymore yes we had cassette tapes and, and if i have final record i'm going to talk about how record scratch and uh so uh anyway it's like this tape loop it's just been playing and playing and playing and then you you're talking about this awareness that one day it just wasn't there and that's enough to ca cause you to startle yourself to go like wait a minute where did it go i mean because we look for this as our identity to how to interact with the world and now something has shifted. And so, yeah, a lot of times changing something up in your life can cause that. And a lot of times we played around with that at the monastery. It was like, wear your watch on the different wrist. Um, start to brush your teeth using the other hand uh, with, your, with your toothbrush. And uh, just anything to jar yourself up and to create any kind of shift for yourself. So people will come to a workshop and they'll sit in the same spot time after time after time again. You know, and at the monastery, none of the seats were saved. And so you always had to, it was always this shifting around, changing things up. And Zen has this uh, reputation of being that kind of 
uh, in the moment, spontaneously. You never know when the master is going to come up behind you and give you a rap in the head, you know. And so What's you always had to be head? on your toes. Yeah. What is that like? A slap? Is that a rap? <laughs> yeah, a rap in the head. Yeah, like <laughs> I know I'm mixing metaphors here for you, Jacob. That's great. <laughs> a little hip hop on the head. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cracked myself up too easily. But uh, yeah, so uh, anyway, it's just, a, it's just a way of changing things up for you that you're always on your toes and you really, uh, well, you're lucky that you had the experience of, of, of having that so profoundly that you realize, wow, because uh, what I got, you know, in all of this, all of this time was that there is no me. There is no solid me. There are a lot of these aspects of myself. There are lots of these assumptions and beliefs. There are these identities. There's these thoughts that come through here and there. But essentially, there is nothing that's solidly me, right? To, and so anything could be created in that emptiness. So, so I'm going to geek out with you just because you're, yeah, you're totally one of the, do the few it. people who I can even toss this to and, and perhaps learn from here <laughs> uh, because you're so into it. Uh, so when you say that, I get that, right? Like, mm -hmm. so my, there is no me in, in, uh, in a static sense, meaning one mm -hmm. way where I can constantly reinvent mm -hmm. myself or I am changing as I age, my skin changes, like, you know, yeah. all that. How about, on a, how about on a soul level? Okay. And this is where we start to go beyond the mind a little bit. And so trying to get the mind to talk about the soul can be uh, a bit challenging, but let's, let's talk about that. So do you, when it comes to soul, um, and maybe you have a distinction between soul and spirit, I'm, I'm not sure, but is there, do you feel like there is your soul or is that a collective soul that we're all a part of? And just part of it is being expressed through this body that you have. Take us wherever you want to take us with this. Yeah, this is really interesting because we never really talked about this, um, uh, the way that you're using. We never used the language soul or spirit. I mean, we called it spiritual practice. And um, it's simply because um, it, uh, it goes deeper, of course, than, um, than just what we do on a day-to-day -day kind of basis. But Zen is kind of really unique in the way that we take day-to-day -day experiences as a way of informing um, what our awarenesses and our insights are. And so they both worked really hand in hand like that, you know, because um, I think Alan Watts even said something along like, you know, Zen spirituality isn't about thinking about God. It's about, uh, or thinking about God while chopping the carrots. It's about mm. just chopping the carrots. Mm. And uh, my experience of that has been that that really resonates for me, that um, we tend to put a whole lot of emphasis on uh, life being other than the way it is, you know, like something like I'm looking for something special. You know, when you talked about like finding your purpose, going all to going to all of these countries and things like that. What I really wanted when I first found this practice was I just wanted to enjoy my life here and now, you know, I, we, we have the privilege to sit around and contemplate you know, what the other world lo could look like, meaning the other world like uh, after I'm dead or, or what spirituality really is. And a lot of times, you know, we didn't really do that kind of stuff at the monastery because we were focused on, uh, I hate to put it crassly, but just being here, you know, like we, we, were, we, were, trying, we were helping people who are struggling here with what was going on here. And a lot of times 
uh, going up into concepts or anything like that. And I see it's really popular uh, in in the Zen world to to start to really noodle around with stuff. And uh, you know, because you have these stories, and even in Zen, of these uh, people, these enlightened people, going back and forth, arguing about the nature of reality. And uh, finally, one of them just whacks the other person across the head as the answer. <laughs> you know, is that and the rap like, on it, the head? It's, it's the <laughs> rap in the head. Yeah. It's 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 a sign that says, "Look, get here, get here." I can't tell you how many times uh, my teacher modeled that for me when we were training. Uh, so so let me. I'll just give you an example. So a monk and uh, a head monk and I were having a discussion about something with my teacher. And it was just about how we were running the monastery, about the organization. We were going over logistics. And we were uh, in this room that was mostly, mostly window. And, um, and so we were getting into a heated debate about something. And then my teacher basically just interrupts both of us and says something like, and she's staring out the window that's right across from her. And she goes, wow, isn't that beautiful? And uh, I remember inside of myself, I was going, okay, can, can you just get here for a moment? You know, like we're in the middle of something really important and you're talking about how beautiful, I didn't say this out loud, of course, I was just thinking it, but I got it in that moment. I was like, oh, right, right. That's what she's pointing to. Just be here. Like, like she wanted us to pause with her and look out there and get off of the story that we had going on about how important everything was. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I don't know if that helps to illustrate what I'm, what I'm getting at, but I could get into a little bit of a interesting discussion with you about what I think spirit is or what soul is. And maybe you're talking about who we authentically are, you know, versus what we've been taught to believe we are, you know, like there, you know, and I have an easy way to talk about that. Who we are is when we drop everything that we think we are. You know, uh, we had a way of talking about it as joy, peace, love, happiness is what you are when you're not doing everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of the reason that I've not had much of this conversation before is exactly what you're speaking to, which is my spiritual practice is about embracing here and now so mm -hmm. to so to experience my divinity by embracing my humanity right those yes. words are so beautiful for me and, and that means uh, both the present moment to embrace this fully but also to embrace my experience as a human fully the yes. sadness the anger whatever's Every there last bit of it yeah yes. to give myself permission to fully be human and it's through that that i actually connect to the larger thing because I'm so here and I'm so present. So, so yeah. going off into the philosophical lands, it can be fun. Um, yeah. but I'm, I'm a, I'm, my metric is usually practicality. Yes. And yes. you know, uh -huh. I think totally. you, you get that. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I, I, I'm, I'm all about that. I, I'm like, um, how is this, how is this useful for you here? You know, when I would talk about the voices or my teacher would talk about the voices, there would be like a collective group of people who would naturally rise their, raise their hands and say something along the lines of, so what are they? Where do they come from? And my teacher would do the same sort of thing, and I watched it over time, which was, um, it evolved. At first it was like, well, what's, okay, this is the gist of it. I don't really want to put words into my teacher's mouth. So it was essentially along the lines of, uh, look, I don't know, but 
what we want to do here is deal with them on a practical level. We don't want to, we don't need to know what they are. What would you have if you knew what they were, mm. right? Mm. It wouldn't help you. And so it was all about how can this help you? And then it evolved into, well, you know, maybe all of this suffering, maybe all of this difficulty that we're experiencing is our greatest gift in some way in that it forces us to choose compassion as the answer. Um, it chooses us, it, it, it forces us to, well, it doesn't really force us because nothing really does, but it gives us our best opportunity to choose something else other than suffering, hmm. right? It gives us the power to uh, come back to that which we were before we were taught that we needed to turn our authority over to um, the thoughts in our heads. Yeah. So I, I always like that as an answer to anything, right? It's our best opportunity to see how we cause ourselves to suffer so that we can drop that and end suffering. Got it. Cool. Well, let me wrap us back around full circle here. So cool. how did you know when it was time to leave the monastery? Yeah, good question. Um, I often tell people that I really hadn't a clue that I was going to stay there as long as I did. And uh, every year when they would ask, when someone would inadvertently ask me, I would say something along the lines of, you know, I didn't plan to be there as long as I have. And I'm not really sure how long I'm going to be there, but I'm there now. And um, there were several things that came up for me uh, that pretty much um, made it clear that it was time to move on. Uh, one was that uh, there were several things that I needed to resolve that I knew I would only be able to resolve out here in the world, right? Because, you know, in the monastery, it's easy to use a uh, place like that. Like, as for all the transformation that I experienced while I was there, all these amazing things I learned, experiences that I had, because I can go endlessly about that too. Um, there, are, there's, there were other ways in which I felt like I was avoiding things in this life that would be really good for me to settle uh, in this life. Um, so it, it could be that people use the monastery as a cave to, to, um, to limit access to certain experiences and thereby never dealing with them. And would, I felt like, yeah. go ahead. Well, would you be open to letting us peek into what that might be? And obviously you don't need to go any deeper than you want to oh, go, sure. but I'm, I'm kind of curious what that might sound like in your head or uh, what that might be. Sure. Sure, sure. Now, it wasn't like a conscious decision then, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not getting the full deal here, so I'm going to go out and do it. It's just one of those things that I started to realize as I was uh, making my transition. You know, so uh, monks really don't have to, we didn't have to earn money. You know, we didn't have to create a livelihood for ourselves. We never had to, um, we never had to, whatever, I mean, take responsibility for anything, you know, so if I were to have something not work out, then I never had the repercussions of that not working out, you know. And so, on a small level, that's that's something that I know for myself that I um, that I would really like to cr create some closure around. And so, funny enough, that's kind of like what I'm I'm focusing on now, as I'm building my business, as I'm doing my coaching practice, as I'm um, taking what I have to offer from my experience at the monastery. And all the other experiences that I've had in my life, um, which is to offer them up in service and, and in the process, uh, create a uh, livelihood for myself that I don't think I ever did before I went into the monastery. You know, you read about a lot of people who want to 
uh, who um, just do whatever they do as a way of a default thing that they run into. You know, like, I'm only doing this business because it was handed down to me by my parents, or I, I have to meet these expectations. Um, and uh, I really want to, I'm focusing on creating a life that I'm truly happy and proud of, and uh, where I'm offering something that I'm doing good in. And as a matter of fact, that's how I ran into you in the first place. When I left the monastery, I started Googling doing that which you love. And you actually came up as one of the, the top hits. Um, you were there with Sadie Nardini and Live Your Legend with Scott Dinsmore. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's why I just started to get on as many people's lists as I could because that's what I was uh, very, very interested in doing for myself. So I hope that answers part of your question. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for bringing us in there. And it's, I mean, sure. we're, we're all on that journey in, in one way or another of saying, hey, here's what's important to me. Here's how I want to spend my limited amount of time on this earth. And mm -hmm. here's the foundation and the self that I need to build in order to, to create mm -hmm. what it is that actually matters to me. Mm -hmm. um, last question that's that's here right now for me is uh, what's been most challenging for you when it comes to reintegrating after the monastery? Mm. Reintegrating. Um, it's that I think that I, um, that's a really good question. I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to, it's, it's right there in front of me and I'm like looking for the words to use to describe it. It's that, um, it's that knowledge or that feeling like, I know something that would really help a lot of people. And I almost want everybody to have that experience instantaneously. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to, you know, do that matrix kind of deal where you just plug them into the thing and all of a sudden they know Kung Fu. Yeah. You know, like I, I'd love for everybody to have that quarter turn shift mentally so that they can see that life doesn't have to be so hard that um, there's a way to, to enjoy life. There's actually a way to create anything that you want that it literally is like the matrix. It's just completely made make-believe and you can, you can just go ahead and, and reinvent yourself at any moment at any time. You know, it's, it's that I wish that that was possible. That's the most challenging part is knowing that I know how to do that and my life's goal is to show people how to do that. And I think sometimes I get a little bit impatient and I expect not expect, but would love to see that they, um, that people will, will choose consciousness and to see that kind of perspective, mm. uh, quicker, clean. I know it's all part of the process too, because you know, nobody could have told me where I was to do what it is that I ended up doing. You know, I may have even rolled my eyes at them if they had said, you know, you really should uh, check out Zen. And I'd be like, yeah, whatever. You don't understand jerk off, yeah. you know? And it's like, you really need to be uh, my, my teacher had an eloquent way of saying this. It was like, you know, you'll see the view when you come to the point of the path where you see the view. You won't have it before and you won't have it after. You'll have it right where you have it. And I've always taken that to to mean that uh, I can't force my own evolution. I can't have something show up for me and, and embrace it before it's time for me to embrace it. So that's been my challenge and it's also been my teaching, my my. Um, my um my understanding that uh no wine before it's time i think is how it was said on the commercial <laughs> <laughs> that's great 
Uh, it reminds me of Joseph Campbell when he was interviewed by Bill Moyers, and mm-hmm. Bill Moyers was asking, "Hey, you know, Joe Joe Campbell, you you spent your life work studying mythology. You're one of the leading experts of mythology, and you know, based on everything that you know, you've dedicated your life to this. You know how powerful it is. Do you feel that everyone should know about mythology?" And he said, no, uh, I feel that people should know about what they're interested in knowing about. And so if yep. mythology calls to them, then yes. But if not, then do the thing, follow the thing that is curious to your soul and let yeah. that bring you where it brings you. Um, so, time. yeah, so, th- time. so that's so cool. And the other thing is, it's just refreshing for me, at least personally to hear, you know, you're, you're clearly someone who can help people and, and is helping people and that you have that desire to do it on uh, you know to help more people and to do it on a larger scale and your own growth is um being with that process and um mm-hmm. dancing with it and you know yeah. finding the acceptance in it and also the desire to to do more of it um and so for everyone who's listening who's also like man you know here's here's Mr. Alex Mill who's you know been in a monastery 14 years you would think he's got <laughs> it all figured out it's like oh god no yeah. it's a lifelong journey you don't want it to end yeah. You know, because it's a it's an ongoing process. When it ends, you end, right? It's just everybody has this idea that it, even in that, it's like that the goal is somewhere out there, right? It's either um, it's either in me getting that car, me getting that job, me getting retirement, me. It's like I'm going to get someplace, and that's what I love about meditation and this practice is we ain't going nowhere. We're enjoying what's here right now. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Well, I love it. Um, Alex, I know that if people want to engage further in your work, that you've got some cool stuff. You've got coaching. And then you're doing in a weekend event with Steve Chandler, who yeah. is also on the podcast, um, called Reinventing Yourself. I, I think this will come out. This interview will come out before then. So if people oh, cool. want to, to head on over there, how can they learn more about that? So uh, Reinventing Yourself Weekend, that is the name of the website, .com reinventingyourselfweekend.com. If there are any spaces when this, um, this comes out, I hate for people to be teased into going there and we either, we've either sold out or um, it's too late for them to join. But um, yeah, May 20th through the 22nd is when uh, Steve, Karen Davis, my partner, and I are going to be rocking it here in, um, in Denver, Colorado. And uh, it's going to be an amazing weekend of transformation. Just we're, we're really we, we uh, Steve's offered this weekend um, uh, event before uh, I participated in that. And uh, we're we're making it uh, experiential this time where uh, people are not only going to be listening to speakers talk about reinvention and their own reinvention, but they're actually going to be participating in something that's going to be part of their own evolution and experience of that process. So I'm really excited about that, totally. So I hope that gives enough information about where to go to read more about that. Yeah, um, yeah. well, that's, that's great. And again, so for everyone who's listening, right, if there's that curiosity within you, then uh, let it lead you, see where it takes you. Um, and then for your own kind of personal home base on the web, what's, what's that web address? Oh, it's something that nobody ever calls me. It's Alexander Mill Jr. <laughs> Jr. dot com. Yes, it is Alexander M I L L G J R dot com. <laughs> and, 
and if if they just Hysterical. Google like like Alex Mill coach or something, will will that yeah, or Zen life coach or Zen coach or yeah, I, I tend to pop up. Um, I tend to pop up kind of frequently all over the place. So yeah, just um, I'm I'm sure you'll find me. I'm on, I'm even on Facebook, believe it or not. Okay, well I'd be <laughs> I'd be happy to buy you a new domain name if you'd like. You know, I mean, I can, <laughs> Maybe like alexthezencoach.com just Alex to make it Zen easy coach. when you do these interviews. Just go to alexthezencoach.com. Zen mind hacking boy. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimate CD collector.com. That's right. That's, That's me. Cool. Um, right on, Alex. Well, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for all the work you do. I'm honored we get to share our journey together. And uh, yeah, and for everyone listening, thanks for, for rocking with us for this podcast. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So if you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast and I'm excited to deepen our relationship to get to know each other better over time and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here and we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook, and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple, and it is. Thankyoujacob.com, and uh, grab that immediately, and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart, but bring your head. Peace.